Are you a small business owner or someone who has a real interest in building your own brand? Then deep dive into the UP Consulting Group's Business Building Bootcamp, the annual convention and training camp for entrepreneurial spirits. Join us this March 5 and 6 to discover how you can unlock your business potential. Based on the Youngblood column of the Philippine Daily Inquirer, this is the Youngblood Podcast. Stories written by the Filipino youth that inform, empower, and inspire. I'm your host, Leah Angela Shoko. Magin first left his hometown in Iloilo when he attended the Ateneo de Manila University for college. And after graduating two years ago, he left for Europe for his master's. With increased distance and differences in time zone, not to mention travel restrictions since March 2020, Magan's only way of keeping in touch with his family is through social media and through cooking. Magan Ferrer, a self-proclaimed mama's boy and sous chef, tells us more about that in this week's featured essay, Culinary Life with Mom. It started a few months ago. Every time I checked our family group chat on Messenger, a new picture of my mom halfway through another recipe would pop up. It began with cupcakes and a passable attempt at frosting for all the October birthday celebrants in our extended family. Since then, her arsenal of baked goods has expanded to banana loaves, cookies, strawberry gelatin, and most recently, calamansip bars. Nausea could disable her only temporarily, as she was back to baking a day after she could move again. Her sudden obsession wasn't what caught my attention. Normally, I would have just grouped this together with her rigorous house cleanliness standards and her propensity for expertly organized family events. What intrigued me was her insistence on dedicating almost each new dessert to either me or my sister. The first cupcakes were themed after her children's favorite ice cream flavors, Vanilla for me, chocolate for my sister. The banana loaf and strawberry gelatin contained our favorite fruits. Even the toppings were related to one of our interests. We would have gladly tried her new recipes if Yanyan was not currently undergoing her medical residency training in Tagig and I wasn't finishing my chemistry master's degree in France. I never bothered to ask why she was honoring her kids in such a way, but this inaction speaks more of me being her son than a lack of curiosity in her new ritual. I also doubt my sister would ask, and dad is more about eating on our behalf than asking any questions. I was immediately grasped by a macabre feeling of dying before my parents did, that the offerings I could never taste were somehow made in my loving memory, so that everyone who tried them could at least recognize how much I meant to my mom when I was alive. Of course, I didn't die, and I'm not about to. Whenever I did have free time, I just went through the photos in our group chats, figuring out how to give a rational appraisal of the baked goodies, given the physical constraints. I'm not a professional chef myself, but I was able to hone my cooking skills in Europe, well enough for my friends to request that I make some of my dishes a second time. In reality, I've always wanted to cook since I was little. My sister and I used to be mom's sous-chefs, dipping our spoons into her baked rib sauce one too many times. 
We began as her saucepot stirrers before advancing to consultants on whether or not food was ready to serve. Very important tasks. Once as a teen, I insisted on cooking something on my own, which was met with a doubtful look from the head chef. Her reluctance stemmed from her concern that I would put the entire kitchen in disarray. Eventually, I was given permission to make something on my own, and the result was a very bland baked potato. I also forgot to poke holes, which resulted in a mini-explosion, the remnants of which my mom was quick to highlight inside the oven. I left for Europe with a comprehensive understanding of instant noodles and an eye for menu items that probably tasted good. My desire to prove my mother wrong remained strong, even as the time difference between the both of us increased. I can cook. I just needed more opportunities to hone and perfect this essential skill. It felt paradoxical how, out of all the life tips I have received from my parents over the dining table or at the backseat of the car, cooking was never a topic. I was simply advised to buy ready-to-eat meals at the supermarket or to save enough to eat outside. My first official attempt as an independent man was a pairing of scrambled eggs and sausages. After a long series of kitchen accidents, most of which I prefer to keep to myself, I learned to use fresher ingredients and my culinary creations grew more complex in flavor. The tone of the comments from the extended family group chat transitioned from at least he tried to I want to try that. Every food picture I've sent since I left is also my way of reassuring my mother that she raised her son well. Though she never bothered to teach me how to cook in the real sense of the word, I'm grateful that she at least inspired me to get better at it. Seeing the joy brought by cooking for others helps me remember the warmth I felt every time I could just shout out my mom's name and she appeared in front of me, unfailing me. Magan's essay was published last January 24, 2021. Today, he tells us more about his love for cooking, what he's learned from living away from his family for many years now, and his advice to kids and their parents on how to cultivate a tight-knit relationship with each other, despite living 7 hours and 6,000 miles apart. Welcome to the Youngblood Podcast, Magin. How are you? How is your 2021 so far? I'm pretty good. I just finished my first month of internship, and I think I've adjusted pretty well to most of the things, like how the lab works. I think I've built enough stamina where I don't feel too tired whenever I go back home. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Great to know, and congrats, congrats on that first month of internship done, and I'm glad you enjoyed So your essay is just literally a ball of sweetness and love and just basically everything that a mom wants her son or her daughter to write about her. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, before we go into that, I want to ask you an icebreaker question. So are you ready? Yes, hit me. Okay, so if you could be an animal, like a real one or probably a mythical creature, what would you want to be and why? Actually, I just finished watching the series of four movies from Adventure Time that happened after the series. So it reminded me of this famous horse back in the series called James Baxter. So he's like a horse on a beach ball. And whenever he passes by around sad people, he never fails to make them happy. So it'd be nice to be James Baxter. 
That's so fun. And actually, I love Adventure Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the Distant Lands movies? There is a film now? Yeah, they're releasing four like, short movies, I guess. Oh, no. Yeah, the first one was about Bimo. The second one is about Marceline and Bubblegum. Then there'll be two more. Wow, that sounds exciting. That was literally my childhood. Seriously. And I memorized <laughs> all kinds of songs from the theme song, like, Adventure Time. <laughs> that, that song. Yeah, 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 and I was like, yeah, the yeah. songs by Marceline. You know, yeah, where she... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now that just got me interested. Who's your favorite <laughs> character? Oh, my favorite character. Um, no, I gotta say Marceline. Yeah, she's a singer. She plays an instrument. <laughs> I want to be a singer. I want to play an instrument. <laughs> I see. And she's a vampire. She lives forever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's also a very complicated story. Because her mom's human. Her dad's a demon. And she actually acquired her vampire powers. Oh, oh my gosh. I didn't even know her roots. Wow, you know so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a geek for Adventure Time. The lore is pretty deep. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. Just a fun way to kickstart this conversation. Thanks for playing along. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, and so now going into your essay, I want to know your young blood story. So basically... Why did you write the essay? What pushed you to send it the publication of PDI? And ultimately, what was your reaction when it was published? So I think my young blood story started, I guess it's almost a year ago. I was in Genova in Italy for my second semester of my master's program. And that's when the lockdown started around March. And so I had a lot of time because all my classes were online. And in Italy, the only requirement you have, aside from practical courses, uh, is a final oral exam for all your subjects. So I had a lot of time and I decided to, you know, all my other skills. So aside from cooking, actually, I decided that I wanted to get better at writing. So the first thing I did was message my, my journalism professor. Her name's Mom Hazel, Hazel Villa. I feel like she's kind of famous. I can feel her fame when I go back home to Iloilo. Like, she's pretty well known. But for us, for me, for my family, she's we consider her more like a family friend. But yeah, so I asked her for tips. Generally, I was just asking for, like, how would you write a good intro, a good body, a good conclusion, etc., etc., etc. But then, she didn't give me any advice at all. No practical advice. She just told me to aim for young blood or Rappler, maybe. But that was, like, on March, maybe, or May. So, during that time, I still didn't know what to write about. On Instagram, I found a friend. She's doing these these prompts online called the Isolation Journals. So they were started by a person called Suleika, Suleika Jawad. So she sends prompts every day and then we're just supposed to write like half a page or whatever she's telling us to write about. So I used that as a way to like warm up my writing engine. And then, of course, like most things you do in quarantine, eventually it died out. But I think on October, my mom started her weird habit of baking too many things and naming them all for me or for my sister. And that was enough for me to start reflecting and it was just enough inspiration to write my young blood story. Yeah, but before that, I couldn't write anything that's worth more than half a page. So after I wrote the first draft, I sent it to Mom Hazel. She edited it once and then I kept editing it, but I think she became too busy. So I just kept editing it myself. Well, for a while, I stopped looking at it because I felt like I didn't have the skills to edit my own work. But 2021 happened and then I felt like, ah, sayang naman kung di ko to publish. Or at least I won't try just to see for myself where I am now as a writer. So I edited it maybe like four or five more times, sent it, and then it got published. When I found out it got published, I actually first realized it from you because you sent me a message that you wanted to interview me for a podcast. I just woke up and my heart started like racing. Is this true? Like, yeah. are, is, 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 is this Leia girl a, a scammer? What is she trying to do? Is she getting money from me? 
So I checked it on uh, Young Blood, and yeah, it has been published. So I told my family, and of course, they'd share it to all my relatives. They congratulated me. I told a few friends. Some of them also found it by themselves on Inquirer. Yeah, it was a pretty small. I mean, it wasn't. I guess since I'm here. And nobody here knows about Inquirer. I guess it sort of like leveled my excitement a bit. I wasn't too energetic about it, but I was happy. I was happy, mm-hmm. and I was happy that I got to make my friends and family happy. Yeah, and I feel like your mom's been feeling kilig, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> her name or like what you call her is on the title. So uh-huh. wow, uh-huh. and I'm sorry for giving you a mini heart attack the no. minute you woke up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was like an adrenaline rush, man. Yeah, but thanks for accepting the invite anyway. Yeah, and I want to know, you mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. your teacher that you reached out to knew you since you were a little kid and mm-hmm. guided you to write this essay. So I was wondering if you always knew that you wanted to write. So basically, how did you become the writer that you are today? I don't think I always wanted to write. One good thing I'd say my parents did for me was if me or my sister had like a slight interest in a single thing, they'd be quick to sign us up for at least a summer school about it. So one of those things, I think when I was in grade school, was like journalism. So actually, Mom Hazel, I knew her from a journalism summer class I took a long, long time ago. But then eventually, she built a good rapport with my parents and eventually with myself once I grew older. So after that journalism class, she invited me to take up her creative writing class. I'd say I don't think I ever planned to be a writer, but I guess I did realize it would be good to start writing. I'd think in my family, my mom, my dad, and my sister are really good storytellers. When they have a party, they can keep a conversation going or everyone would pay attention to a story they would start to tell. And I didn't have that gift. I would always mix up like events. I would always overthink. I would always fix myself while I was telling a story. So I think writing was a good outlet for me to like arrange my thoughts in a way that I could also tell compelling stories about real life like the rest yeah. of my family mm-hmm. definitely and i mean now you're in grad school so that just requires i guess more writing oh yeah i think both scientific writing and like i don't know what to call it but the kind of writing to try to convince people you're good enough to be funded <laughs> yeah it's like hitting two birds with one stone just honing in your writing skills both for personal and for academic life i guess and maybe in the future of course we can't deny you know you gotta write more when you get to work so yeah yeah, i totally get you yeah Mm -hmm. i didn't realize i didn't realize you know that writing would be useful up to this point i'd say i I never had a long-term plan during that time i just really enjoyed it you know it was fun doing it for a summer yeah amazing how you find writing to be exciting or fun at the very least because not a lot of kids can say that at least for me not a lot of kids i knew at my age (laughs) Um, i was like a seven-year-old kid who would read like literally 300 page novels and then write your own version of it so oh fiction writing i don't think i can do (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but like you know the the really random ones so not a big deal yeah for sure Now, going back to your essay, it's just a testimony of your apparent love for cooking, apparently, Uh and more so your mom. So I want to know, did you always have that tight-knit relationship with her since you were a kid? Or did you only become closer to her when you got older, probably now that you're living away from home? No, I think it was since I was a kid. There's always been a joke where I was a cesarean baby, a sea baby. So I was actually one, one week, I think, one week past my due date of giving birth. Yeah, and my mom would always say it was because I wanted to stay in her womb even longer. Like, even during the assigned date that I was supposed to be born, like, my mom drove herself to the hospital because she didn't feel any contractions. She didn't feel any contractions. 
like she would just sit in the hospital room where like expecting mothers would be placed and then she would see almost everyone start to leave giving birth and she'd still be there like the nurses started to give her medication and they would ask her like every 30 minutes like oh do you feel it <laughs> do you feel any contractions and at the start she'd say uh, no 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 and then after an hour i think she felt sorry for the nurses that she actually started lying when they would ask like oh uh, mrs ferrer may nabatsagan ka na like oh siguro may ara gamay lang gamay lang so like they're asking mrs ferrer so do you feel anything now and mom would say like i think so a little bit <laughs> yeah but i guess the doctor knew like she was lying <laughs> so eventually they had to operate on her but yeah i would always like even growing up when i had nothing to do i would often times follow my mom like i'd always be right behind her and she would call me like her ikog her tail whenever i don't have school or if it's the weekend i would just follow her wherever she goes around the house yeah so i'd say yes and then now but i think i've matured enough i do still miss her and i'm pretty sure i'm still close to her but i think i've put it in its appropriate place you know what i mean <laughs> yeah like like you tamed it down a little like you're not following her now everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah like i now know the appropriate ways at my age to show her that i miss her <laughs> mhm for sure yeah. so what's your fondest memory of her uh, fondest memory Ooh, i mean there i think there were too many happy times with her <laughs> ugh that's so cheesy uh <laughs> i guess it's not a single memory Most of my fond memories with her would be those times when she would share her past, I guess, like from her childhood, when they would listen to radio series, how there would be bats in her childhood home, even up until when she started working in the United States for like ten years, and how she tried to adapt. They started off as like funny anecdotes when I was a kid, but then later on, I mean, even until now, I started to discover life tips from her. She never said them explicitly, but even until now, I find a lot of meaning in those stories. Mm-hmm, for sure. I don't try to milk it too much. <laughs> I, I don't want to say, oh, every sentence she says has its story on its own. But yeah, they're worth more than just the humor. Yeah, definitely. And since you've been in that wonderful relationship with her since you were a kid, I'm pretty sure you've learned some ways in order to really have that healthy relationship with your mom. Even when probably you made a mistake and she's gonna get mad, you'd still keep on loving her. You'd still be super in awe about the things that she did. So I, I'm wondering, what advice do you have for those who want to have a loving relationship with their moms, especially for kids these days? You know what I mean when they're trying to act cool and then they try to rebel or something like. that i mean i've been there i totally get that but so i want to know what's something that you want to tell them to the kids yeah for sure probably just our age i mean <laughs> okay okay yeah, yeah cuz I, i don't think i am of the right maturity and also of the right gender <laughs> yeah to tell moms what to do cuz i will i can never be a mom <laughs> oh no not to yeah <laughs> the kids basically not the moms well, i think growing up i guess Since you know, growing up, you always thought like we were the center of, of our own story. I did used to think that I'd be on equal footing with my mom, <laughs> but then as I mature, I did notice how okay she was. You know, she was the more mature one. Mm-hmm. How to have a good relationship? I'll just say the I think the things that my mom did to me that I appreciated very much that helped me mature, like at least when I was still young and foolish, that helped me grow into a better person. Well, one of those things I've already mentioned before, she would always allow me and my sister to at least try an interest that we like, you know, just to be sure if we actually like it or not. There were times where, where I wished she would tell me most of the things that were troubling her, because you know I wanted her to treat me like an equal or at least like an adult. But I think it was smart of her to still not tell me most of those things. <laughs> like I feel like if if I was a child and she decided to 
like put all that uh, baggage on me i wouldn't have known what to do with it <laughs> i mean now that i'm 23 and you know i don't think i'll die anytime soon she'll probably tell me a few more things that she used to hide from me but yeah she always knew when to tell more mature themes yeah and she was always there for us that's that's feel very generic <laughs> Oh gosh! No, yeah, no, it's so true, and it just reminds me of this film I watched like a couple of weeks ago. It's called uh-huh. A Rainy Day in New York. Uh-huh. Have you seen it by any chance? No, no, I haven't seen it. So the protagonist is Timothy Chalamet. Am I even mm. pronouncing it right? I'm not sure. Basically, he's the guy in the film Call Me by Your Name, and uh-huh. also in Little Women. If yeah, you've I, seen any of those, I, I first knew him from Little Women, actually. Yeah, amazing film. But this film that he starred in, specifically A Rainy Day in New York, mm-hmm. he was kind of like that rebellious son mm-hmm. in a good way. Because the things that he was drawn to were things that weren't really bad, but were against his mom's ideal. Mm. You know, so probably his mom wanted him to be involved in mm, like culture, like art or whatever. And he was interested in jazz. Uh Or uh maybe his mom wanted him to have, like, a super classy girlfriend. And then he was drawn to, like, the quirky ones. Like, the Uh super... uh The rebellious ones. Yeah, Yeah, no, not the rebellious ones. But, like, the ones that are within his mom's Uh ideal type. You know what I mean? Uh And so it's interesting because one time he asked his mom, Mom, you know what? I don't know where I got this because clearly you and dad are very straight-laced. Very good people, basically. Like, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the mom at that specific time just divulged her story that probably she never even told anyone that oh. she was one to prostitute. And then what made her different was that she fell in love with the dad and it uh-huh. wasn't just, like, all the physicalities and something like that. It became deeper than that. And that just reminded me of what you said, because you said, like, she just knows when to say something. Even when, you know, in the hard times, she's open to bring out a very deep, mature story. So, I don't know. I just thought of it because I just wanted you to know that it's not weird. I feel like I have that story as well. And also the example I just gave, the film. Uh So, uh yeah, definitely. Good advice. Good advice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I hope just like the way my mom shares her stories, like people will get lessons and advice from that but not directly from what i just said yeah like probably implicit lessons for sure i mean we all learn from each other there will always be something that you're going to take away from one person right yeah 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 so now can you tell us more of your life as a self-taught chef on your sixth year of living away from home what's something that you learned while taking on this journey and what advice do you have for those who are interested in starting to move out for school or for work as a self-taught chef I didn't really start until I also went to, to Genova. Actually, the Magan before Genova, I think, is different from the Magan now. So that's really where I started to like develop my own good habits. I guess that's one thing that came out good from lockdown. Yeah, before, when I was in college, when I dormed, I didn't really cook for myself. There was a canteen near the residence halls, so I usually just ate there. But I did have a friend, Fred. He, not always, every now and then, he would invite me to cook with him or at least watch him cook. And then while he was cooking, I was always interested because he grows his own spices. Ah, yes, I learned the spice cardamom from him. Yeah, it smells really good. He puts it in almost every dish. I, I see how he cooks. He likes to tell me like why he does these things. So I guess I sort of like just absorbed those lessons verbally. 
sometimes he would also fail and we would work together to try to fix the way it was cooked maybe something was too raw so I had to cook it longer you know simple stuff like that when I moved abroad when I moved to Europe I started with sausages really unhealthy but very easy to cook I remember I was so proud of it <laughs> but generally I think it was too oily too much pasta it wasn't a balanced meal I was just happy that I cooked something for myself. But then eventually, I started investing. I guess I also made the choice to try to make better food. So slowly, I bought more ingredients, you know, from the usual salt and pepper. I started buying, like, more uh, thyme, oregano, you know, the usual things. I tried to buy a sharper knife. Uh, oh, maybe I guess a lesson about cooking. Sometimes a good knife sharpener is just as important as a good knife. I used to follow the recipes by the book, by the recipe, because I get them online, so you know, they're not on a book. But then I, I got the confidence eventually to start uh, you know, modifying the recipe by myself. I would ask opinions from my mom, from my other family members who also knew how to cook. And then, yeah, <laughs> this is it. I mean, a lot of people here who tried my cooking really like it. And since mm-hmm. they come from different countries, I would say I'm an internationally acclaimed chef. <laughs> I think I could say that. I could say that. Uh, mm-hmm, congrats, congrats. Thank you, thank you. Oh, okay. So when, when you when you say advice, do you mean like advice for cooking or like? No, <laughs> I was talking about like advice lost. for those who are moving out. Oh, but yeah, okay. definitely. I mean, okay. cooking. Sorry, sorry. Plays a huge part. Okay, so for people moving out, definitely pack early. Um, I was I was very lucky that at least for the times when I moved to Manila to study. My mom helped me pack. Yeah, yeah, I think I wrote it somewhere how my parents never mentioned, you know, that I need to learn how to cook to be more independent. Yeah, and some of those things are also, at least on my mom's side, she never really taught me how to pack well. But honestly, she's the best at packing codes. Yes, but once you're independent, you gotta, you gotta pack early. Like my first flight from uh, leaving to Europe, uh, I think I packed too many books and not enough like clothes and stuff. It was, I went um, over the weight limit. Good thing my sister was still in Manila, so I was able to stop by her place. And uh, I had to leave some some books. Yeah, but my mom scolded me, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I, yeah, I prioritized my books over, let's say, something more um, useful like clothes, you know, medicine, like toiletries. Uh, so yeah, pack early. Try to, especially if you go to a country where you're not familiar with the language, it will be much more difficult. You will feel culture shock. Not every nation will have the same reaction to people who can't speak their language, especially here in France. They're not as accommodating as, let's say, us Filipinos when someone can't speak our native language. So yeah, that will be tough, but stay open to this new culture. I think one major thing that I realized when I was in uh, France was learning English really is an important skill, but it's not enough for you to know the whole world mm-hmm. for sure yeah, you can discover more worlds by learning you know another language if that makes sense yeah it does it does definitely by the mm-hmm. way i love how you got so caught up in just cooking like cooking tips uh-huh. and that just made yeah that's just making me super interested what's your specialty my specialty um but i think my most people really like my version of adobo um, because usually most of my friends here are from Luzon or from the Manila area, so, so they know that version of adobo. But in uh, Iloilo, we also have our own version of Ilongo adobo. Like, uh, we use uh, achuete or istiwitis. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's orange, and I, we put more vinegar than soy sauce. So 
the sauce. If I mean, I, I don't think there's there really is much of a sauce in Ilonggo adobo, but if there, mm-hmm. the liquid that's there is really more vinegar than soy sauce. So yeah, most of my friends like it. Like um, I had one when I was in Genova. There was a PhD student from the Philippines, uh, who actually asked for the recipe because I brought it once, to like a potluck event. <laughs> he wanted to make it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think for baking, uh, most people like I made these salted, salted, chocolate buckwheat cookies yeah yeah because i uh, i have a friend who's actually uh like she can't tolerate gluten i, I don't know the, the word for that uh, but yeah she can't tolerate gluten so i thought of making something you know that doesn't have any gluten and i found buckwheat flour that was readily available in the supermarket so yeah i made that cookie and even those who who don't need to be gluten-free really like it yeah so i mm-hmm. guess those are my two specialties Wow, wow. I feel so intimidated. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share mine and I'm just gonna be quiet. Yeah, let's just focus on you and by the way, congrats on your masters. So you've been away for quite a while since college. So mm-hmm. what's something that you wish you knew prior to leaving home? Well it's hard to say because I, I think I'm more of the type that goes like Oh, you know, when I learn things at this point, maybe I was supposed to learn them at that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I one thing I did realize, because before I left, I started to like meet up with my friends, both in Iloilo and in Manila, reconnected with some old grade school friends. So I did realize that you really learn a lot when you start saying goodbye. I think it just like sets both yourself and whoever you're talking to in like a, I guess in a mood where like when you know that you might not see each other for a long time, yeah, you just share more things. I guess you just, you know, express how much more you'll miss each other. Yeah, so just basically to put it in a nutshell, basically don't be afraid to be vulnerable or dare to be vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like for me, when I met up with my like my old friends, my current friends, there there was a reason why I wanted to meet with them. I mean, there was no point in hiding it. So yeah, I had to be vulnerable. You learn a lot of things when you say goodbye. So yeah, that's something I learned while I was leaving. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for sharing. What do you want to say to our listeners who may be considering to write for PDI? I mean, I know you keep on saying that you never consider yourself to be a writer or yeah. you're not yeah, hardcore on that. But maybe if you have something to share, what advice do you have for those who want to write personal things about their lives? Because, I mean, this essay is extremely personal, so to speak. I mean, it's basically your relationship with your mom and mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's something that you want to tell them? So I watched a few of your, of your podcasts, and I do agree. Um, I think one of them gave the advice to be honest. And I think that's also something you should do when you write for PDI. Be honest, but also, you know, I heard a friend say this when I was in college. Like, when you write, you should also learn how to kill your emotions. Like, you should be able to write about them in a third-person perspective. Because the thing is, maybe when an idea is in your head and you start writing it down, when it's still in your head, it might feel like, um, a very big, grandiose idea. Uh, but when you start writing writing it down, you start feeling like, ah, okay, ganito lang pala siya. I, I mean, you start feeling like, oh, it's not that special. I thought, I thought this story is going to be unique, but now it sounds generic. I think that should be a normal feeling because that's when you start um, separating your work from, you know, the editor in you. I think that that's what also stopped me from directly editing my work like a second or third time when I realized Mom Hazel couldn't edit it for me anymore. I think I was still mm-hmm. too attached to the feelings I put. 
but yeah, once I learned how to kill those emotions, I was able to look at it as like as an editor, and then you know fix my language. Maybe maybe this is this won't be the language that you would normally use when you would like express yourself, but mm-hmm. uh, it would make your writing better, and that's that's normal. That's okay. I think that's that's a normal part of trying to make any piece of work that you make better. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I want to touch on that because okay. I feel like a lot of people feel that when you write, you have to be emotional, you have to be extremely passionate, you have to be able to bleed on the page. And while that is helpful for sure, for the first draft, it is extremely important to bleed as much as you can. But when you're editing, like you said, you have to be able to cut your darlings or to cut your emotions, so to speak, and detach yourself from your emotions and objectively see what you're trying to say so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. great advice okay i guess um if i would t- if i were to nuance um that statement i guess it's not literally kill your emotions but maybe like like how how i learned how to express how much i miss my mom you should be able to put your emotions let's say for something for for, for your essay in its appropriate place yeah i saw this movie called Kung paano hinihintay ang dapit hapon. I actually forgot which film festival that was in. But it won. It won like best film. And it was a story about an old married couple. And the old lover of the woman is, is dying. So she decided to like help. Basically her ex. She decided to help her ex. Uh, it's, always, it's always weird say, using the word ex. You know, <laughs> yeah. when, it, when you talk about old people. But they do have those lives. They did have exes, right? Yeah, so she decided to help her ex, like, you know, try to get better from his sickness, whatever it was. And then when, and even um, her husband now, I can't remember if they were friends or they became friends because of that event. But yeah, they got close. And the ending scene from that movie was um, they were going to the beach. And I think along the way, her ex died and she cried for, for him. I think that was a very nice uh, way of placing her emotions. Like, of course, she loves her current husband. But her love for her ex, you know, is still there. Like she just knew yeah, you can't take it what, away. Yeah, where mm-hmm. to put it properly. So I guess when yeah. you write for when you write for an essay, you can have those emotions, but just know how to put them in their proper place while you're writing and editing. Mm-hmm. I love how you use the film to make the connection because it just makes everything concrete. I mean, I haven't yes. seen the film, but. I can visualize everything and I totally get your point. Yeah, yeah. This movie won Best Film. I mean, there was another movie during that year that I think should have won, but I'll give Kung Paano Hinintayang Dapit Hapon. I'll give it I'll give it credit. I'll give it credit. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah. very obvious that you're so many things. You're Magin or Mags as your mm-hmm. nickname. You're Mags the chef, the self-taught <laughs> chef. You're Mags the graduate student. You're Mags the son. You're Mags the writer and now the uh-huh. film enthusiast yeah like, <laughs> I mean, we are so many things for sure yeah yeah, and, yeah. And, you know i'm interested what's something that you want to say to our teachers or parents or basically people in authority who have that power to develop and nurture our youth's interests or passions for anything and everything since you know you mentioned earlier that that's i think what your parents gift was to you you know they really encourage you to mm-hmm. enhance a skill just because you were <laughs> yeah, blindly curious yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true i think i think actually i was very lucky that my parents allowed me to do those things you know 
Like I, I haven't mentioned my dad at all, but he was also there. He he was also there to support me. Don't worry, dad. I love you. You're the man. <laughs> uh, I don't want anyone to think <laughs> like I don't have a dad. I do, and he's cool. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, but uh, but my advice, I guess the the thing I could say confidently is not really what they should do, but more of like a mindset that they should that these people should have for mm-hmm. for the Filipino youth. Uh, I think one thing they should realize is that like our generation now and their generation have different mindsets. I do notice even in like my family there sometimes um when like me or my cousins try to push for like an idea or just mention something that used to be taboo for them. There is some there is some pushback and I I don't blame them. I think if there's something that really isn't comfortable for you, it is normal. You can't just expect people to suddenly like you know not feel okay, like for me I mean, I don't think I ever was homophobic, but I did learn once I met more of my friends who were LGBT. I did realize that it it really did feel awkward for me at the start to ask anything about the LGBT. So you know, it really is something you learn, like trying to accept a different point of view. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one thing they should have. They should realize that mindsets are different between our generation mm-hmm. and now. So I think, like especially with the generation of my parents, and I also noticed it with my aunt and my my aunts and my uncles, like their main goal really is like individual success in life. But now for our generation, we're we're really more about like trying to achieve things together, um, mm-hmm. with your friends, maybe as a community, as a nation. Yeah, so that's one major change in our mindset. Another thing is, I think there's also a risk of generalizing for the whole youth. Like, what's the best way to, you know, to develop and nurture our passions? I think they should try their best to make it case to case, not necessarily per person, but yeah, there is a there is a there's a danger in like let's say you just get a small sample set of students or youth, and then you think like, okay, this pleases them, so this will work for yeah. all all the kids, <laughs> all the teens, exactly. all the young adults. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I want to touch on that because uh-huh. I think it's a very important conversation to have that there is no such thing as the best educational system. There is no best way to raise a kid. There's mm-hmm. no best way to cook adobo, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's really about your preferences and your tastes and your needs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that just goes to show how human we are, I guess. I know we're going down to a more philosophical side but uh-huh. yeah it's an important conversation to have you know to, to really get to know yourself at the very least before you get to know other people because he said like earlier there are differences and then you can't help but feel uncomfortable whenever you're presented with something that you're not initially familiar mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. um and so it's important also to ask yourself why is this creeping me out oh my gosh you know maybe if i try to go out of my comfort zone and try to learn at least not exactly engage or be a full-blown obsessed person about mm-hmm. it but you know just that that spark curiosity when you yeah. use that to, to educate yourself and to know oh why is this happening why am I feeling this way I think that just makes you a better person um yeah yeah and makes you more understanding of other people's viewpoints yeah and I think especially now the scary thing is uh you know how uh, like, if you try to say something that's slightly offensive, you worry that people might get mad. But I think that's mm-hmm. mostly amplified when you do it online. But honestly, like, for me, when I ask, like, I have like I have friends who are Muslim, I have friends who are gay, I have friends 
who, who have different relationships with their family, like what it means to get married, all that. When you talk to them directly, like all that fear that we have on social media about being called out and all that, it disappears, honestly. Yeah. So it's important to have these conversations, like you said, for yeah. sure. Okay. And I think together with having conversations, um, it's also important to practice how to listen. Because um, I think it's very easy to just remember what someone says. But let's say I find it happening very often, even with me, most uh, sometimes, that I interpret what they say with what I already believe in. Yeah, for with, sure. Like, listening to the silence is really something I also have to uh, like learn myself. Because most of the time, uh, if you don't say it, like, like I, I'm not really good sometimes at getting social cues. So if you don't tell me exactly what it is, I won't. I won't get it. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm getting yeah. better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Yeah, you got this. You got this. Yeah, maybe, you know, yeah. I, 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 maybe that's like one of the main reasons why I'm still single. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh, let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. But yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's, it's an interesting conversation for sure. Because, uh, you, 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 you know, tangents, so let's go. Let's go for all the tangents. <laughs> you know, let's go straight, right? So, like, philosophy now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. I mean, with silence, I had this conversation with one guest. I asked like a very unspontaneous, uh, a very spontaneous question. Mm-hmm. And I didn't type it down like what I'm doing, like whenever I have a follow up question, I like, literally type it down because mm-hmm. I feel like I traumatized the guy. <laughs> you know, just asking <laughs> okay, a very okay. deep question. Okay. There was literally like one to five minutes worth of silence. And I was just waiting and waiting until I. I I, I know it's not five minutes, but like, I felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And then I realized how important that time was, like, just to be silent and to, I guess, met, like, think. Yeah, and for you, I mean, look, from his from his silence, you, you felt so many things just by waiting for him. You know what I mean? You were listening to it. <laughs> to what the things he, he, the things he didn't say, you were feeling it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, for sure, for sure, exactly. <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah, what a wonderful conversation with so many different, you know, points. I felt like we went full circle. That's fun. That was fun. (laughs) Thank you so much, Max. And to end this conversation, on a lighter note, you know, you know, Uh like very straightforward light note, I want to ask you, what are you excited about life now? What's something that you find exciting? Oh my gosh, so many things actually. Um, Well, first, graduating. Uh, the fact that the vaccine is being distributed. Uh, I mean, at least I know it's being it's it's be, it's gonna be distributed soon in Iloilo City. I've seen our mayor, uh, you know, holding like practice events. I don't know what to call it, rehearsals uh, <laughs> on how to do the mass uh, vaccinations. So I'm really excited for my family to visit, um, my to come to my graduation. Yeah, and speaking of vaccines, I mean, yeah, they're extremely exciting, but you know. I'm updated. I'm on tabs with COVID-19 and mutations because I'm involved with a little bit of research. And I just want to point out that even with vaccines and all these precautions, we are never going to get back to normal up until 2027, basically. So that's from an article on Bloomberg. I can link it, but then it would be super outdated by the time this episode comes out. But yeah, but but basically it, it means that vaccines can't solve everything. We can only afford 
herd immunity when we have 85% of the entire 7 billion people on Earth vaccinated. So basically, it means no one is safe until everyone is safe. But yeah, that's it. Thank you for sharing um, Mag's wonderful conversation again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mag and Benedict Ferrer, or Mags for short, is currently finishing his master's degree in chemistry in France, where he is working on mechanofluorochromic compounds. He struggles to show his family and friends back home how much he misses them. This has been the Youngblood Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions as to which works to feature on our next episodes, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or to DM us on Instagram. We're also on other social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter. So if you want, please go ahead and give us a follow. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'd also like to thank everyone who's been with us since day one. You guys are the real heroes behind this podcast. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Thank you very much. This has been Leah Angela Shoko. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>